Culture is expressed in its food, sometimes as iconic as Italian pizza, Japanese sushi, Scottish whiskey, or German beer. One of those drinks that defines its people that has moved far beyond the border and into the world is chai. What exactly is this delicious, deeply nourishing, spicy concoction? How do you drink it and why? The art of chai. Warmth, wellness, and worldly flavor. Today on An Organic Conversation, your show on everything that makes life worth living. I'm Helge Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. We've had great episodes on coffee and tea in the past and wanted to give this favorite of ours the respect it deserves. In this hour, we will learn everything about how to make a perfect cup and why it's so good for you. The art of chai, warmth, wellness, and worldly flavor is our topic today. But first, as always, we start with the little week's review, something that's touching or timely as far as the news is concerned. And we got a really Hopefully great both. question. <laughs> Hopefully both. Yeah, we got a great question from a listener. Randy wrote in to ask us about organic gardening. Yes. Thank you, Randy, a listener of ours. I think you contacted us through Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash an organic conversation. If you have any inquiries or questions or comments, Randy wrote, I have a major green thumb and garden every year and we're looking to move this winter can we buy any seed from you any tips to pre-prep for a new garden and he goes on in more detail but it's interesting because that question has come up often people move places and then they don't know if the soil maybe has been contaminated with something before or what the soil needs and um, what kind of seeds to plant for, what's the growing season really exactly. We don't sell seeds here in, in an organic conversation. I wish we did. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe seeds of joy and seeds of hope, but not the ones you would put in the ground necessarily directly. There are a couple of really great companies. What comes to mind is, of course, Seeds of Change and also Baker Creek Heirloom Seed Company. Those are great all-organic seeds. They have a high germination rate. So that's a really good resource, those two. In general, I think with any soil, investing into a soil test, which can range between $60 and $300, just to know kind of a little bit of the history and what's in there, where to start off of, is just a really good idea. And maybe when you rent the land or, or rent the house to ask the previous tenant or owner if there was anything used. But really, you know, to be sure, I think a soil test is a great way to start just to know what materials might there might be in the soil that are questionable. And also for the soil composition, it gives you all that. And then, of course, based on the growing season, starting indoors or outdoors, this is the time when people pull out their seed catalogs again or get new ones and get excited about the new growing season and the new year. So this is actually a good time to think about the growing gardening year of 2016 to start with that. Start thinking about planting, you're saying. That's right. To, yeah. And there are some seeds and some, some plants that you can, of course, start in January or in February indoors, depending on where you are and what the time would be for you to then plant them outdoors. They usually only take two or three weeks. And then you want to have a transition and kind of harden them off. You want to put them from your windowsill and from indoors, maybe into a, an elevated outdoor space where they get accustomed to the rougher outside climate. So don't just take them from the warm, cozy home into your garden and plant them straight into the soil that is too harsh of a transition but you know if you stage it between one or two stages to to let them maybe bring them in at night still or have them in the garage at night to you know have kind of a transition climate before you actually plant the starters into the soil that's great and when you do you can also natural selection look for the healthiest looking plants so you only plant what you know will most likely survive being planted directly into the soil 
you don't have to plant every single starter seed that came into the soil. So you actually save a little bit of space there and you make sure that your survival rate, which then turns into a, a beautiful lettuce crop or whatever you may plant, uh, is the highest it could be. So I think those are those the are basic tips. tips. Yeah, those are really great tips. I mean, that was what Randy was looking for when he wrote us is because he has quite a, a history of gardening and he's moving to a new location. He was trying, he's starting from scratch essentially. And so he was looking at what would help him, which seeds would keep well, how he should store them, how, wh- where's the best resources to find them and, and, if and you what do, you can and cannot start indoors. I think you've covered all of that. Yeah, and if you do find anything questionable in your soil, of course, there are soil remediation plants Um, fern comes to mind a couple others that you could plan to basically clean up the soil it's you don't necessarily have to depending on what you find take all the soil off and put new soil in you can plant one crop that you know you're not going to eat and there are plants that have a great ability to absorb heavy metals or soil pollution in that sense and plant the edible crop afterwards And also with any new region or climate or environment, you want to know from neighbors or from other gardeners what pests may be present in spring, you know, what other gardeners have dealt with to have some companion planting around your first few beds so you you know you're not going to lose it all six weeks into it. When the bad bugs come, you want to make sure you attract the good bugs too. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck. We all look forward to a wonderful 2016 growing season. Thank you again, Randy for that inquiry. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash organic conversation or with any other comments or questions, you can always contact us at contact at organic media network, all one word, contact at organic media network.com. This is an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helbert. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And our topic in this hour is warmth, wellness, and worldly flavor. We are talking with an expert about an amazingly beautiful book that she just created, The Art of Chai. And we have the author with us in this hour, Chai, The Experience of Indian Tea. That's our main focus. But before, as always, we'll hear it from our own Sitarani Palomar, a.k.a. Chef Sita, an update from the world of health and beauty every week. Here's Sitarani Palomar and her holistic bite. Well, I'm talking about food today. It is quite a food-focused month, although really it's always a food-focused time because we have to eat. But I want to talk about one of my favorite techniques, which is a great, simple way to prepare foods and gives a lot of flavor, and that's braising. And braising does develop a lot of flavor, and like I said, it, it takes relatively little active time. It's mostly known for cooking hardier meats, but it's great for all sorts of hearty vegetables as well. And braising is a combination technique of sauteing or searing with a little bit of fat um, so you could use olive oil, coconut oil, butter, and then that p- part is followed by an addition of a liquid like stock or wine, and then you're on a low simmer finishing the dish, and y- you don't submerge your vegetables entirely in liquid. You only do it about halfway. You also cover it or just partially cover it with a lid so that you keep all that heat and that steam in, and then you can either finish it on the stovetop or you can finish it in the oven. And this is a technique I love to do with Brussels sprouts in particular. I will cut my Brussels sprouts in half put them with the cut side down in a pan that has some butter or some olive oil. And I saute it until it gets brown. And that, you know, starting with the high heat is a way to build flavor because you darken the color and you you just develop those natural sugars and things in the ingredient that you're cooking. And then when you, when you add your stock or your wine or a combination thereof, and you're finishing it on this low heat, this low simmer, you just want to have a little bit of bubbling around the edges. Or if you decide to put it in the oven, keep it from like two 250 to 325 degrees because what you're going to do is you're keeping that good caramelization but then you're keeping it tender and juicy too more than just the searing or the sauteing would so like i said this is this is frequently used for meats but it's great for root vegetables winter squashes parsnips onion apples you can also use it on um, green beans you can do dark leafy greens like kale or collards or shard. And also bitter lettuces work really well, like radicchio and 
dive. And you will also will end up at the end with this very flavorful broth, the broth that you use to do the low simmer after you did the high heat sear. And either that's going to be just kind of a nice liquid that you serve with your vegetables that keeps them really moist, or you can use it as a sauce, or you can use it for a future dish. You can put it into your soup as another liquid. But get out there and experiment with some of these ingredients. Like I said, it's relatively straightforward. It's a high heat with a fat to begin with. Then you add a little bit of liquid and you finish it off and you'll have a great balance of flavor. And that's this week's Holistic Bite. Thank you, Sita. Yum, yum. And how perfect for this time of year where everything is nice to be a little heartier, a little bit more flavor to it. Like we, we know we're getting into the heartier meal side. So even if you don't do meats, this is a way to keep that really nourishing, warm, braised. Yeah, and actually, you know, one thing that is really, really simple to do is to do a combination of onion, parsnip, and apple. And you can do vegetable broth, and you can add herbs if you would like, but it becomes this really warm and soft, but like rich, flavorful, mm. heated meal. And it's totally not a stew. It. It's, you know, it's still a little bit, the liquid is a little bit thinner than a stew, and it's still heavier on the, the vegetables. Texture. Or, mm-hmm, yeah, exactly. Lovely. Thank you. That's Sita Rani Palaman her holistic bite the art of chai we are staying with cozy and warmth and wellness an amazing new book that follows chai the experience of indian tea is its title um, all the way from why and how and the history all that and more when we come back this is an organic conversation i'm helgi and i'm sitarani palomar we'll be right back with more stay tuned Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit earlsorganic.com. Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. After some great episodes on coffee and tea in past months, we wanted to give one of our absolute favorite hot drinks the respect it deserves an entire hour where we will learn how to make a perfect cup of chai, the art of chai, warmth, wellness, and worldly flavor. And we are speaking now with the author of a gorgeous new book, Chai, the Experience of Indian Tea, Reka Sarin, who is joining us hopefully from New Delhi in India. This is a call all actually <laughs> half around the world. Um, Reka, are you with us? Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you, Helge and Sita, for having me with you. And it's great to be able to connect across the world. And, of course, tea is linking us, isn't it? It's it's wonderful. It's really um, an organic conversation is showing the connectedness and interconnectedness of all things, you know, from listening to food to mindfulness and presence. And chai fits in there. And having you in New Delhi right now speaking with us live here in the studio is just such a joy and pleasure. Thank you for making the time. What time is it in India right now? Well, it's... Uh Almost 2 a.m. 2 in the morning. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's almost time for some black tea. Exactly. We, we hope you had enough chai to, to stay uh, with us and stay awake. Um, yes, absolutely. Precisely. It's tea that, chai that's keeping me going. Yes. And it's now a passion with me. I'm ever ready to talk about it. You know, as I made my research and study into this subject, uh, I grew to love it more and more. Uh, it took me almost seven years of uh, research and interviews uh, 
I was yeah. stunned by the photography. The, the title itself is an Indian teacup where the map of the Indian continent is placed mm -hmm. upon. And that already, and the, the color and just, just everything. It's an art. Chai is an art, clearly. And you have translated yes. that into the book that you created. But let's start with over the last decade, Chai really has become very, very popular, even here in the United States, halfway around the globe. But in Indian, it's an ancient tradition. Every home has their own chai blend. Can you start with that? What is chai? What's its history and what's the significance of chai in the Indian culture? Of course, today chai or tea is the most popular drink in the world after water. And undoubtedly, it is lately being more and more recognized uh, because of its health benefits and easy adaptation to modern tastes. Now, chai is basically an infusion. And the word chai originates from China, the land of its discovery. Early Chinese dialects used the word cha or te to describe the infusion and the leaf. Now, don't both words sound uh, very similar to what we have today? Te is similar to tea in the European language, and whereas cha got assimilated in the Indian language as chai. And, of course, the word caught on, the popularity of tea is now translated as chai. So, and uh, the history of chai commences with British, colonial British India in the 19th century for chai per se in India. In China, of course, it was, that is the land of its origin, and it originated in the year 2737 BC, they say. And wow. the story goes that an emperor, Shen Nung, a Chinese emperor, discovered tea when a leaf fell into the uh, a cup of water which his uh, lackey had boiled for him. And when he saw the infusion, he, he, he also smelled the aroma. And that is the discovery of, original discovery <laughs> of tea. But uh, all wow. this while, over the centuries, tea developed in China and went to Japan. And then from there it went to Europe, uh, basically to Portugal, and then to Holland, and then to England, primarily through... Uh, trade and missionaries. But it came to India after the tea was popular already in England. When did it move from tea, just tea leaves, to all of the things that we associate with chai, the spices? There are so many variations in tea. Now, there are different methods of production in tea. There are different methods of uh, flavoring it. There are different methods of even uh, drinking it. The final product of tea comes from the method of withering, of rolling, fermentation, and then drying. Let's switch from tea leaves to chai, because the, the Western yes. understanding of chai is with spices, particularly things like cinnamon and black pepper and cardamom and clove. But I know that there are so many different variations of chai and you have black tea chai, but there's also green tea chai and there's herbal chai. Mm -hmm. So what are mm -hmm. what are the different vari variations of chai tea and why are there so many? The cell structure of the tea leaf is hydroscopic which means it can pick up all the surrounding aromas. Now, this works as a blessing. And so there are so many variations that are created by blending aromatic components into the tea leaves. Now, the technique of flavoring, actually, it originates again from China, the land of its discovery, when tea growers planted peaches and plums and apricots and sweet-smelling flower bushes to pr provide shade and moisture to their teas and eventually realized that these flavors had a very pleasing influence on tea. So they perfected the art of, of, of flavoring and scenting teas. You know, there is no... Uh, they create their own formula, each company or each brand, to create a standardized product. And then to uh, make it as a chai, which we are familiar with, you know, black tea chai, masala chai, rose chai, then further on, they add spices, sometimes actual flowers, rose petals, mint leaves, etc., to infuse into the, uh, while they are doing the fermentation and the oxidation process. 
so that these perfumes are absorbed during that process to create all kinds of speciality teas. So real chai tea, you're saying, is not just you take black tea and you take your spices and your flowers in some cases and you put it together and you steep it. You're actually fermenting the tea leaves or storing the tea leaves with these ingredients for a period of time so that the tea leaf itself absorbs these aromatic properties? Yes, that's the way. Because the flavors are absorbed into the leaves during the process of oxidation. And how long does that usually take? I mean, if somebody were to try and make their own chai blend at home, because we want to go that direction. In my experience, every different homes have, just like Helga said at the beginning, different chai that they're making. If you're making your own chai combination with your favorite spices, which have different health properties, which you need at different times of year, how long do you need to let those spices and and flowers store with the tea leaves so while the tea leaves age, they're absorbing those aromatic qualities? You know, actually, these uh, herbs and teas, they come in packaged form. And in the home, when you make it, it is better to use fresh ingredients and put them into the infusion. Example, if you want to make cardamom tea, flavored with cardamom, or tea flavored with basil, hmm, then you just uh, first boil the water, put the water on the boil, and you let these infuse and let the water keep boiling. And then you add the tea leaves. You're saying begin with the spices or the flowers and have that infuse Mm -hmm. the water before you add the tea leaf because then the tea leaf itself is going to absorb all of that flavor. Yes. So it's a two-part process. You start with the spices and the flowers and then you add the tea leaves. And then you keep boiling it and and, uh, until the aroma comes through. And uh, then uh, in the case of masala chai, it always goes with milk. You know, most of these spiced tea which we have, uh, the Indian spices which you use, do always uh, have to be mixed with milk. When you talk about herbal chai, right, like non-tea-based chai, do you not consider mm-hmm. that chai, actually? No, herbal chais are definitely chai. Tea sane, any infusion is a tea. Okay, we want to hear about the health properties and so much more. We're speaking with Rekha Sarin, the author of Chai, the experience of Indian tea, who's joining us today from New Delhi in India. If you search niyogibooksindia.com, N-I and then yogibooksindia.com, niyogibooksindia.com. Search for the title, Chai, the Experience of Indian Tea. Rika, stay with us. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with so much more. This is An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Hilbert. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons, so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And we are speaking with Rekha Sarin, the author of Chai, The Experience of Indian Tea, a gorgeous new book. And she's joining us today from New Delhi, India, in this hour of an organic conversation, The Art of Chai, Warmth, Wellness, and Worldly Flavor. So, Rekha, before we went to break, you were talking about the process of actually getting a really unique and flavorful chai infusion. And the way that you do that is you start with your spices, whatever those are going to be for your chai. And in some cases, your flowers, like roses or your mm-hmm. or your herbs, like basil or mint. And you infuse 
use those in hot water before you add a very high quality tea leaf that will then absorb all of those aromas. So that process seems really clear and actually really fun and creative to explore in the kitchen. But even before you start that, you need to choose the spices that you want to use. And there are some that I guess are considered staples with chai, but they were picked for a specific reason, I imagine, probably for health and wellness. Can you tell us about what spices are the base of every chai and why they're there? Uh, the best flavors come, the most healthy ones come from uh, ingredients like clove, cinnamon, cardamom. You know, all of these are antioxidants, and they are very good for controlling infection uh, or fighting bacteria. Now, chai in itself is very healthy as a drink itself, because the buds and the tender leaves of the plant, of the tea plant, are rich in catechins and polyphenols. And these are a great, these are themselves antioxidants, and they prevent cell and tissue damage in our body. Now, catechins block viruses and bacteria. And for this reason, tea is always recommended when we are afflicted with infections like influenza, food poisoning, etc. And add to this your natural spices. Now, cloves and cinnamon again kill bacteria. So here you're getting a two-fold action. Tea itself with all its health benefits, and then we are adding other benefits from nature in the form of these spices. Then cardamom chai is just ground the cardamoms, you know, with and put them in, pound them coarsely, and put it into your water with the skin, so that the, even the skin will give the of the cardamom will give the aroma. It's very pleasing, and then it has great value in helping digestion and that nausea feeling. It just it just kind of vanishes with this infusion of cardamom, and then you add your uh, and you add your milk and sugar and you have cardamom chai. Cardamom so, is also very good for your hair and skin. And then for a sore throat, there's grandma's recipe of uh, of adding mulched ginger. Just pound the ginger coarsely to your chai. And ginger has uh, very good anti-inflammatory properties, which will make you feel better. So ginger chai, or adrak chai as we call it in India, is very good for a bad throat and, you know, that fever coming on. It is also very good for joint pains when you get that damp weather or it's very cold. It's very warming. Ginger itself is very warming. And, uh, of course, chai is a wonderful relaxant. It has a natural bioflavonoid in tea that increases endorphin levels, in which uh, case uh, that in turn uh, reduces your pain and anxiety and so tea is always administered in a time of shock and stress. And if that tea is flavored with some spices like cinnamon, it will fortify the, the basic the quality of tea as well. The foundational spices you covered were clove and cinnamon and cardamom. And then you're saying sometimes yes. you can add ginger. And now you're going to share, I yes. think it sounds like, a couple other variations. And then also black peppercorn. That also does very is, is very healthy. It cleanses your, flushes your body, it flushes all the infection in your system. Basically, the, all these spices work together to fight infection, and they are very good antioxidants. This is what, uh, and tea in itself, the plant is also a very great, is a great antioxidant. So combined together, can you imagine the wonderful <laughs> health benefits of uh, spices in your tea? It, it's just, uh, it's like a double-fold uh, attack against <laughs> against the negative um, health forces working within you. Chai is a stimulant, and it does contain a certain amount of caffeine levels. But here I have to say that caffeine levels, it's been proved, are much lower than the caffeine levels in coffee. So for example, a 190 ml cup of uh, tea contains approximately 40 to 50 milligrams of caffeine, while a full-flavor coffee averages about 110 to 120 milligrams per cup. And now caffeine is considered to be safe at a maximum consumption of about 400 milligrams per day. That includes your intake of soft drinks and chocolates. 
So chai can take you a long way. You can safely have many more cups of tea, but but if you have those many cups of coffee, you'll be running into you an intake of huge amounts of caffeine. Sure. So in that sense, chai is healthy. It it lifts you like just like coffee does, of course. But then you can have many more cups of tea rather than. Uh, several cups of coffee. We're speaking with Rekha Sarain, the author of Chai, The Experience of Indian Tea, a beautiful award-winning new book on chai in this hour of an organic conversation. This hour focused on the art of chai, warmth, wellness, and worldly flavor. And we're proud to say that Rekha is joining us all the way from New Delhi right now, calling in from India directly Speaking of that, Rekha, when, when we hear your reverence for chai and, and your knowledge about it, certainly, but there's more in it. Can you tell us why you are attracted to chai, why you were attracted to put this book together as a child growing up in India? When did chai become so meaningful for you? Chai was, it held my attraction to begin with as a boon of nature. I am a nature lover. And I walked into this tea shop to buy tea for some guests. And the tea shop owner was talking so eloquently about tea and where it comes from and how it grows that it fired my imagination. And more than that, I also fell for the subject because it is so historically placed. And uh, there is a deep and long history about tea, the global history and then the tea in India. And then history, of course, influences culture. So there are many ways of having tea across India. And uh, it also has a common platform of tea being a symbol of Indian hospitality. And uh, it, although, it, although it was not a culture which uh, India was born into, it was endowed to us by the British because uh, they were colonizing India and tea had gone to England. And uh, they were importing tea from China. And when China started charging silver bullion instead of opium being grown in India, that's when the British actually turned their attention to India and to finding a place where they could grow tea elsewhere. I want to have a cup of chai with you. Are you coming to the United States with your book on tour or... What is what's the plan with the book now? I know it took you seven years to research it and put the beautiful photography together with your partner, and so now there it is. Are you? What are your plans with the book? Are you coming to the United States? Yes, I would love to come to the United States. We did have an international launch in London at Piccadilly Circus at Waterstones, nice. and now, of course, from there now, I would I want to come to the United States. I'm so happy to know that there is is a revival of uh, interest in tea in the United States. Because uh, America does have a lot of credit that goes into the history of tea. It was here in America that iced tea was first, mm -hmm. uh, was first invented. This was in 1904 at the St. Louis World Fair, uh, where uh, there was a Scottish uh, planter from India who was displaying tea. He was the head of the tea commission. And uh, it was so hot at the fair that uh, he was disgusted. Nobody was getting into his stall. So what he did was he threw a whole lot of ice into the tea and, uh, and found that there were many takers for tea. And you know how popular iced tea is with Lipton <laughs> and all these companies Nestle making of course. ready to make iced tea. Coffee has seen such a huge resurgence, of course, here, especially in San Francisco in the Bay Area um, where the show is produced. But really, uh, you know, there's coffee shops all over the place. But I must say tea is the new tea. There's a, a huge resurgence of really good quality tea that you can now really get um, in many, many, many places, not just in specialty shops anymore. When I was a child growing up in Europe, I remember to get really high quality tea, you had to find a store that would sell that now you can get it in a in a good hotel they have you know often really decent selectable nice certified organic kind of higher quality teas already so tea is definitely 
uh, in its up. And so you pick the perfect time to focus on, on chai because it is such a culturally and uh, for many health-wise and flavorful concoction that within the tea world absolutely deserves its own stance. Thank you for joining us um, in this hour. Wonderful, wonderful to have you. That's again Rekha Sarin, the author of Chai, The Experience of Indian Tea, a lovely new book, who joined us today from New Delhi, India. Rekha, it was such a pleasure. Thank you again for making the time and for this beautiful book. I've learned so much listening to you about why these spices were chosen and about the value of the different variations in India. And I've had a very long love of making homemade chai and your tips have made it much, much simpler for me to do. So thank you again. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I hope uh, you enjoy your cup of tea all the more, knowing that there is so much more into it than just the leaf. There is a history, the culture, the flavors, and the trendiness, which is, which is taking it across the world and, popular, and making it more popular. So cheers to Chai. Cheers yeah, to cheers Chai. Cheers to Chai, indeed. <laughs> Namaste. Thank, Thank you, Rika. Thank you. Thank you. Be well. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye, bye. bye Rika. <laughs> Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Again, that book is called Chai, The Experience of Indian Tea, and the website for it is niyogibooksindia.com. niyogibooksindia.com, all one word. They try to evoke that kind of like bronzy golden color of chai itself in the in the cover of the book. And I got so much from this interview. I mean, I, I said a couple of times throughout the throughout the interview that chai is a really special place in my heart. I mean, I grew up in households where we had beautiful tins of different spices out on the counter because my mom did a lot of Indian cooking, but it's the same thing with chai tea. You have all these little silver bowls and they've got your star anise and your cinnamon and your cardamom and rose petals. Because for me, there's something about rose chai that is so authentic authentically Indian, it is actually really difficult to find rose chai in the United States. And I learned this like key part of how to make really authentic, flavorful chai from Reka when she said, you want to start with your herbs and your flowers and infuse those via boiling your water before you add your tea leaves. Because as the tea leaves steep and they open up, the tea leaf itself starts to take on those qualities of the herbs and the flowers that you've already simmered in the water. And, and for those spices, you can boil them for 15 minutes or for an hour or for two hours, really, right? Sure, yeah. And the could. tea you would never have. In right. there. It's like the finishing touch, right? Well, you tea add the tea steeps to for it. like three to four minutes. I yeah. think it's three minutes for green tea and four minutes for black tea. So you really Max. don't want it in there as long. That's but right. I can't wait to go home and do a rose chai this way where I actually start the rose petals before I put in the tea. Because I find so frequently if I do a masala chai, by the time I add the sugar and the milk, I don't taste that delicate rose flavor anymore. But I think it's because I haven't been adding it at the right time. So knowing when in the process to add it is really helpful. Nice, yeah. I can see it. I can f- taste it. Rose chai infused with milk and honey. That's Ooh. like, that is the ultimate. <laughs> that is the ultimate. And, dessert. And I do think that, you know, making these blends, like she said, and storing them together in a, in a container makes for beautiful gifts. I mean, if you make your own, if you have your own special chai blend, like mine in particular, I like a lot of black pepper and I also like a lot of star anise and rose petals. So I can make this in large quantities and divide it into glass jars and give them to to my friends for the holidays. Or just like she was saying, there are so many different properties of each of these spices. You could make tailor-made chai blends for different friends of yours based on the things they like. If one of your friends doesn't like the fennel flavor, leave out the fennel and the anise. If they really like it spicy add more black pepper or ginger if they really like cardamom add more cardamom i mean it's it that catered gift and something that you made with your hands for them with a lot of intention uh, is so meaningful and she was listing literally the health benefits for you know every single spice every spice cinnamon, that goes into chai. we don't cook every day with cinnamon we don't cook every day with cardamom or you know the clove not so, in the U.S., we don't. <laughs> right. But having that in your diet, if it's not in food, you can have it as a drink. Less caffeine than coffee, but still a nice little waker-upper, just like green tea would. You can actually time the tea exposure any way you want to, if, however strong you want your drink or your tea, be part of that. And you get all the health benefits regardless already from the herbs. Yeah, you really do. Really lovely. 
Yes, the art of chai, warmth, wellness, and worldly flavor. How perfectly timed in this time of darkness that we're heading into to maybe add, if you're, if you're used to chai, um, you, I'm sure you enjoyed the interview. And if chai is something new, maybe it is something between coffee or instead of coffee or your regular tea to add to your regimen as an ongoing treat try it out the art of chai warmth wellness and worldly flavor today on an organic conversation i'm helga hilbert and i'm sitarani palomar we are staying with healthy and tasty <laughs> <laughs> i was wondering what's the transition uh, <laughs> into the world of produce healthiness from the field here is what's in season And with us, as always, every week, is the voice of the San Francisco produce market, Mr. Earl Herrick from Earl's Organic Produce. Earl, are you with us? Yes. <laughs> Hello there. Hello, Tita. Hello, Helga. How are you? Oh, very, very wonderful. Very wonderful. The uh, Really experiencing the uh, change in the weather and the time change and everything, it's it, it it's quite impactful. Yeah, really interesting how, yes, they do give us an hour, but they take the light and uh, all of a sudden at five o'clock, it's now dark, I think yeah. wherever you are in the country really. And uh, yeah, it, it's such a different internal time clock too. You get hungry at 5.30, 6 for dinner and you're tired for bed at eight. <laughs> at least I am. So, um, But how does the produce balance that off? Because usually nature has the antidote what's what's the edge for you this week what are you looking at yeah well you know one of the things is that the sun changes its angle you know it gets lower in the horizon so oh, yeah. for me the the whole experience is not only the time change but is the angle of the sun and and just how it how it feels outside so what's happening in the field is most of the local stuff is starting to end just this natural cycle of uh going to seed and going to sleep uh you know we've had some rain um some production is is naturally curtailing so now locally you're going to find just those more fall winter crops so think uh uh winter uh, winter squashes uh the last of the tomatoes and uh things like cabbages and leeks so this is where the transition from the local to the imported and uh, the rest of the country, the import is what we're going to be producing from California desert. But for us, it's what we can still get locally because we're in this incredibly f wonderful uh, climate from the desert. And also this is what we consider the beginning of the Mexican season where we still will get wonderful a variety of stuff, but it's just augmented from Mexico. So, Earl, that brings up an interesting question because yeah. I think that there is, a, I, this is a perception that I've had, that it, when I start seeing product of Mexico, I start thinking maybe that's not where I should be putting my dollars. Maybe I'm not. I mean, of course, you want to support local, but as you lose the local production and a lot of it comes out of Mexico, how can you know that? Sure. I mean, I, we know that the organic laws, in order for it to be organic, it has to meet the standards in the U.S., but what about what about the treatment of farm workers? Sure. Well, there's a bunch of things. I remember when I was early on, and and we started getting Mexican product back in the in, in the 80s. There was that whole question mark. Well, it's it's imported, and in Mexico, there's a mystery about it, perhaps, and exactly you know how are farm workers treated? There is one particular grower that we deal with uh, almost exclusively. We have a, a great relationship with him that we're able to market his product exclusively in Northern California. And we've been to his farm. We go every year or every other year, and we take many of our retailers and friends down there, and we get total access to his farm and his greenhouses. And he is, of course, certified, but he's actually taken a next step. Uh, you mean certified, certified organic? Correct. Yeah. Certified organic. Uh -huh. And he's taken the next step and he's become certified f fair trade. And that's something that we can, you know, d uh, dive into a little bit today. But they're the really, uh, with the certification of uh, third party certification needed to be organic and now the fair trade, any mystery that may exist for anyone should be totally have light brought to it. Uh, we're completely satisfied with their growing methods and everything that's going on. And we really champion this latest development that uh, he's engaging in. 
Well, so the idea behind fair trade is yeah. that you are guaranteeing the farmer a fair price for their crop. And so we saw a lot of fair trade come out for coffee and chocolate, coffee and yes. cocoa, particularly when the fair trade movement started to get really big. But now it's a lot more things. It's bananas. It's I mean, I know, I think I know the grower you're talking about. He does a lot more than that. He's doing bell peppers and he's doing, mm-hmm. right? Well, not only that, he is, everything that he is growing is now fair trade certified. Now, that is incredibly unusual and beneficial because many times you're dealing with a grower that part of his farm or part of his products are fair trade certified and others aren't. So there's a production uh, cycle that you have to wait for and the product is not always available and sometimes you have to sequester and keep it separate. Where So the wonderful benefit here is that all of his product is, is fair trade certified and we can get behind this this program of, of uh, promoting it and exploring explaining it, and people can feel totally satisfied that anything I buy from Covilli, this is the name of the farm, is going to be fair trade certified, and the benefits are incredibly far-reaching. So from a consumer perspective, right, when we know it's certified organic, we know now that the farmer has to go through an annual inspection and pay its fee, and you know, if you buy as local to your home place as possible, it supports the local economy. And so there's an understanding. And usually, when we come to fair trade for products that are from overseas or or Mexico or Central America, definitely not locally or domestically grown in the U.S. I think most people would associate fair trade with kind of the co-op model, right, where there's one buyer that then ships it into the United States and to make sure that all those growers of those small one, two acre little parcels get Mm -hmm. treated fairly and there's not a shark in the middle that basically gives them no return on the coffee and there's no education for the kids. That's why fair trade was born. In this case, what I'm hearing is this is a full certified organic but commercial operation. It's an owner who has actually farm workers. Why would he invest that much money and time and effort to treat his staff differently and have his crops because it's not a crop certification really it's the worker certification right it's Fair an trade. operations thing that's right mm-hmm. yeah it is operations and it and the focus definitely is on workers well they answer the question why alex and his wife iris they came up to our facility and gave us a presentation and i was absolutely uh, astonished at, at the energy and commitment he has to it because you're talking about his contribution to the fund which he will fund monthly from the revenue that he gets from selling his product, is going to total, he figures, for the first year, a quarter of a million dollars. And that goes wow. to his to his workers, right, for more wages and education and, and medical well, care. Well, a couple, couple things I want to, I want to go back to. Yeah. What, what, what was so uh, fantastic to hear, to hear in the process was this, the Fair Trade Organization, which is called Fair, this is Fair Trade, USA. Fair Trade USA, this particular one, and there are several, but I can speak about this one and what he's doing. That they they came in and they audit every single one of his workers, meaning they interview him, not only his workers but himself. They interview them to find out their interest, their likes and dislikes, where are they with any issues at all, and there's full disclosure. Mm-hmm. And with that, they develop everybody on his farm. All the workers are part of this program. They then create a committee which meets and uh, understands uh, how they want to deal with the money that they're uh, accumulating. And they are, in fact, uh, they have to do something with the money within the first four months. They start to, they have to start creating action plans. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is uh, noted as a, uh, an obligation to be part of this program. Then they, then they basically vote on it. And it can be anywhere about higher wages, uh, whether it's improvements in their uh, community, whether it's hospitals or schools, or even they can even vote to there's a particular family that needs dental care. Mm. And if they choose to do that and it's okay, then that's what they do. Um, it is, and it has continued to be audited all the time. It is funded monthly, and the funds are heavily uh, scrutinized. My, my concern sure. in, in speaking to him was a quarter million dollars. That's a huge amount of money. It's organized. There's enough oversight and, and management to, to distribute so, the funds. So I don't, I don't know if I really got to answering why. His why is about, is this an extension to his commitment to being organic? Mm-hmm. So there's a sustainability issue. The two words that he used mostly was empowerment and accountability. Mm. 
It's just wonderful to hear that in addition to organic, there are now third-party labels that mean that much and that in this case actually really build kind of the structure of a community in itself, right? Mm -hmm. To distribute their own funds and take care of their own well-being. That's that's wonderful to hear. And we had two of your buyers on the show when we talked about um, holiday produce just a few weeks back and they were saying it has an impact like that. Fair trade does have an impact like that in communities wherever they work with uh, really around the world. You know, I, I wanted just to note a couple of things that I have in front of me that are the basic uh, tenets of, of the fair trade, and that is compliance with wage and benefit laws, written employment contracts, timely payment, uh, payment uh, vacations, uh, there's no forced labor, there's safe working conditions, there's gender equality, um, there is a, there are mechanisms that are developed for dialogue with the management. Mm. There's preservations of the ecosystems, uh, no GMOs, and there's proper waste management. So you know there's all there's been you, you go back decades and probably forever there's always been issues with farm workers, sure. and this is a, a, uh, an organization that is now focusing on that and developing a structure that can address those with the monies that are collected from the farm that go into a fund that can be equally voted on how do they want to use them wonderful pretty great stuff that's incredible and yeah farm workers are you know often considered modern day slavery if you see some conditions for pennies a pound all day back breaking work in unsafe conditions we did a show on that food chains at the beginning of the the year the tomato pickers in Florida awful so Yes, look for organic and look for fair trade. That's a wonderful update. Yes. (laughs) Thank you so much, Earl, for making this a topic. Yeah, interesting. Well, we will continue you know, to, to learn more about it. And, and as this season goes on, as we learn more, yeah, I'm sure we'll have another um, another show on this. We yeah, will. we could do a whole episode. It would be great. Great. Thank <laughs> you so okay. much, Earl. We'll see you That's next Earl week. Herrick of Earl's Organic Produce with the update, in this case, a socially responsible update on fair trade. Thanks, Earl. We'll have you back next week. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye now. Ah, so great. So make sure that all your chai tea spices are fair trade. The spices can be fair trade. There are a lot of fair trade certified spices. Obviously, there's fair trade certified tea and there's fair trade certified spices. So you can have fair trade certified And organic too, because otherwise, um, you know, many teas and, and spices for sure get irradiated. Yeah. Lovely. An hour on chai, the art of chai, warmth, wellness, and worldly flavor. That's an organic conversation. Cheers to chai. Cheers to chai. Cheers to you, our (laughs) listeners. We'll be back with another episode next week. I'm Helga Helber. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And of course, this is an organic conversation. Take care. Bye. An Organic Conversation is a proud production of the Organic Media Network. Associate producer, Kristen Ponger. This show would not be possible without the ongoing support from our listeners. Whether it's a dollar a month or a one-time donation, please consider becoming a patron of An Organic Conversation. For more information on how to support this program, please visit patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash An Organic Conversation. Thank you for your contribution. An Organic Conversation is made possible through listeners like you and the fantastic support of our underwriters. Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor providing certified organic fruits and vegetables for your store, home, or business since 1988. The website is earlsorganic.com. And also Fry Vineyards, America's first certified organic winery, producing organic and certified biodynamic wine. For more information, frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Thank you as well to Bowman College, focused on holistic nutrition and culinary arts for over 20 years. Bowman College offers professional training programs that prepare individuals for careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Their website is bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to iTunes or anorganicconversation.com. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, please follow us on facebook.com forward slash anorganicconversation. 
We are your hosts, Helga Helberg and Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be back right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then. Bye.